0: Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Beam Voice. Today, I have the pleasure to talk with Daniel Tabacaro, who is an architect with strong expertise in circular economy, and who is also an entrepreneur. Hi, Daniel, how are you doing?
1: Hi, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. It's so nice to have you here.
0: Please introduce yourself and tell us more about you.
1: So I'm a a trained architect. I have studied engineering before, uh, and I've been working In different locations, different countries. I'm originally from Romania, as you are, uh, but moved here quite a while ago. And as part of my architecture journey, um, I've been always interested in in sustainability. Uh, And eventually, of course, when you start working with sustainability as an architect, you end up understanding that technology is part of it. So BIM is an important tool. So Eventually, I got specialized in, in BIM. I haven't worked in 2D since 2005, 2004, um, and I think it, it, is, it was a natural progress. But um, what is really important regarding BIM is that, and I, I think that we're going to discuss about it today, um, it is about the existing buildings, because I've been focusing a lot on new projects um, and. About four or five years ago, I've started to look at refurbishings, and here it is a completely different animal. Uh, beam for new buildings and beam for existing buildings uh, is totally different. And of course, working with refurbishments is natural that you get to circular economy or understand how you can get, uh, extend the life of uh, the materials that have been used there. So my journey started from, um, as an architect, from trying to use technology. And eventually I got to, to where I am now. And most probably we're going to, to discuss a little bit about the new company that I've started last year, again, X, that is trying to use even more to take it even further and try to use machine learning, um, for existing buildings.
0: Yeah, that's nice. So, uh, in case anyone asking about, um. Why are we talking about circular economy? Let me just say this, that I, I don't like BIM just for the sake of BIM. I'm thinking at the, the end goal of this. And what is the end goal? BIM is just a means to, to achieve something, right? For me, uh, when, I, when I'm thinking, like, I want to use the best processes, the best tools available to achieve something. And what is our purpose here? To, uh, to preserve our planet, right? To reduce the CO2 emissions and yeah, to reuse our materials to to not be uh, to not make so much dead damage on our planet so that's why circular economy has a very very important role in this so beam is only the means to an end and uh, yeah in case somebody uh, was wondering about this yeah uh let's dive in please share your screen and let's go
1: yes i, I totally agree that uh that uh, beam is on, uh, only only a, a mean to uh, to uh, to a scope and i something very interesting that I think it is important to stress that we're not going to solve our planet. We're going to solve ourselves because the planet has survived also the extinction of dinosaurs. So I think that we are in a different position when you start looking at the problem that actually we're not saving, uh, saving the planet, we're saving our way of living. So, um, and for me, it worked that suddenly I started to be much more motivated about that, especially when I got kids. Because suddenly the time perspective is totally different. You're not looking just 10, 20 years uh, and after that, retirement. Uh, you're looking in 60, 70 years ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very important. Yeah, because it's very easy to, to not think about this if you don't have kids or if you think only in the present, right? Uh, but this is, uh, this is like we need to think about the future generations and what our legacy on this planet is going to be, right, for, for the future generation, even if you have or don't have kids, like for, for your friends, uh, for, I don't know.
1: I think that regarding resources, uh, everything has to be placed in, in a context. And just to give you some facts, uh, if we're going to continue with the building industry as we have done the last 150 years, Uh, In about 2050, we're going to run out of sand. We're not going to have any sand on the planet to be used in the concrete industry. Wow. (laughs) You're talking about sand. (laughs) You're not talking about copper or uh, titanium or other materials that are, uh, or lithium. You're talking about sand.
0: Which is plenty of,
1: yeah. Yeah, but not enough (laughs) for our lifestyle. The fact that the, the, the price of the sand has in, double folded in the last 18 months, it is a really uh, good sign of, of this. That is a reality. It's not just uh, some tree huggers that are talking about it. Uh, so I think that the, the, the situation is much more complex and we have to, uh, to plan it in advance and to minimize the need for new resources. So I will, I will start briefly talking about uh, what's... We try to do in again X, but maybe uh, before that, as a little uh, uh, break, is that I've got to, to start again X um, last year uh, as part of Antler program um, in in Oslo. But before that, I've been uh, beam manager for uh, um, for Berum Kommunegorj, uh, which is um, a, a city hall. Municipality, yeah, yeah, yeah a municipality. Uh, in Berum, near uh, Oslo, a building that has been finished in 1992, uh, and that is how uh, the building uh, looked. Uh, and it was kind of strange that already after 26 years uh, of usage, uh, it got to a to a stage where there was uh, major uh, upgrading uh, requirements. And as a BIM manager for that, coordinating the engineers and uh, the, the architects, we have built, of course, uh, a model based on, as any, anybody that worked with, uh, with the existing buildings know that the drawings, they have errors and it's quite a, a mess. But in the end, we have managed to build uh, a model, uh, but it was just a surface model. And that is, that is actually the key to make the difference between uh, a beam for a new building and the beam for an existing building. Because in an existing building, even if you, look, uh, if you use uh, photogrammetry and laser scanning and existing drawings, eventually you're going to create a shell, you're going to create a cover, but you're not going to have enough information about the content. Uh, as you have in a in a new uh, beam model, where you from the beginning you create all the layers and you have uh, control over the materials and so on. And because of that, we got into a moment uh, that is, as I said, it was a building that was just twenty six years uh, old. And of course, uh, as I say, for a building that is almost like uh, you get from kindergarten to to school. So it's quite early for a building. The buildings are designed and should be designed to last 60 uh, years at least. And when we started to think, okay, how we can reuse the the buildings and the materials and the building elements. To begin with, we had a very short uh, window of opportunity to decide what to use and uh, in which form. Just one week. And that was even if we have took in consultants, it was impossible to get a a precise solution because we didn't have any information about the material content, the quality, the volumetric properties, the logistical behind it, uh, the logistics behind it, where to store it. When you take it from the original uh, place and while you are waiting to put it in the new building, and all these complex uh, metrics made that in the end the building has reused just the the concrete structure, so we have managed to to keep the the floors and the columns, but the rest everything went and went to the landfill or being sorted to some of it to be reused and that was extremely, extremely hard to, to take. And by, by taking this journey and experiencing uh, being a BIM manager for a project where it was almost impossible to use what we wanted, I started to, to look in how we can solve this type of problems. Because the key is to know in advance about the content of the buildings. You can't really wait until the, the architects are in place because it's already too late. The architects, they have uh, a brief a program, they start to look on uh, on what it will be, uh, and they start designing. So you can't really wait for another four months to have a, a laser scanning, a photogrammetry, a surface uh, model, and even if you have it, you don't have information about the contents of what is behind what you see. And the problem is quite complex because of course, in the building industry uh, we know that the standards they have a tendency to change <laughs> and to be updated so what uh what we have today as standards is not the same as as it used to be in the seventies or the eighties, and that makes it extremely extremely complex from a traditional point of view to understand the existing buildings because you you have is like learning to uh, to read uh, hieroglyphs uh, the, uh, the old egyptian uh, writing by having no idea eventually you're going to get it but it will be a very long process so that is why part of this frustration if i can call it like this um i started to look into okay what do we have around us that really likes complexity and of course you get eventually to, to look into artificial intelligence, because we as humans, we have a limited capacity of uh, of handling complexity. But if you look at complexity at data points, then it's very easy to connect it to machine learning and to a uh, different type of algorithms where actually having even more data, uh, you just give joy to the algorithm <laughs> because uh, the probability increases and all that. So. Um, and that is something that it was quite a surprise that uh, it has not been done before. And we said, okay, we should, we should do it. And that is how, um, in, in uh, last year, I joined uh, an accelerator program uh, run by Antler, which is... Um, what is Antler, by the way? Antler is a venture capital company uh, from Singapore. Eh? It started by three Norwegians, uh, but it has something that is extremely interesting. Because uh, all the, most of the venture capital uh, companies, they wait to see the product developed until they decide to get in with investments. While Antler, they said, okay, let's see how we can help creating even more startups by getting in even before the company is uh, incorporated. By just looking at uh, smart people and putting them together during a period of two months and a half months and make them create products or develop companies or identify ideas and opportunities. And after that, uh, let them go into the world. So it was extremely interesting because it was, uh, to begin with, they had, I think in Oslo, they had a thousand applicants and out of the thousand applicants, we were uh, 65 selected to get into the program. So it was a a very uh, intensive Ten weeks periods where actually we were supposed to start a company, to identify opportunities, to learn about the, the business models, about financing, about uh, uh, creating uh, uh, recurrent revenues and all this, to understand the requirements for the venture capital world, to understand finance. So it was an amazing program. So I highly recommend it. If you have an Antler, now they have, I think, eight cities around the world. Uh, if you have the chance to go to Antler, I highly recommend it to, to apply for it.
0: Are they done with Oslo?
1: <laughs> I would have
0: loved to, be, to
1: try. <laughs> yeah, in, in Oslo now, they, uh, they already they are at the end of the third uh, program. So they have it twice a year. Uh, and I've talked to some, uh, some of the participants that are going now in, into Antler because they ask for some advice. So I think that uh, in summer or something like that, they will start the, the fourth program. So I highly recommend it, look on antler.co and if you have an antler in your neighborhood, apply for it. Does it cost anything?
0: Do you need to pay for it?
1: No, actually they give you money. So
0: you need to work full time this time? If you have a job, how do you, you cannot participate then?
1: No, you have to be uh, 120% uh, there Uh, and they give you because of, uh, they know that to get people that are. Uh, trained, highly educated, and so on. You can't really take them out from whatever they do for uh, three months and expect that they will be 120% there. So they have a, a kind of stipend uh, sponsorship. So they give you some money. Uh, is enough to cover the the expenses. So you're not going to to get rich. So probably is uh, less in uh, in Oslo and more or actually in Neto, is more in Oslo than in other parts of the world, but they calculated in a way that you can focus 120% of uh, starting a company. So that is where, again, X has been uh, established. And it, it is extremely interesting because I think that we, and especially in the building industry, the problem is, uh, is well known. Um, we have a tendency to be surrounded by uh, like-minded people and people with the same type of experience. Uh, and that is not very good <laughs> because by being uh, limited to people that see the world in the same way as you see the world, uh, the probability of having, of having something that is going to be long lasting is lower. And Antler has, uh, I think it was a very wide spectrum of uh, backgrounds from uh, finance, investment, uh, programming, people working with risk assessment, people working just in sales, uh, and all that. So it was extremely interesting. A scientist, PhDs, there were a lot of PhDs there. So it, it is very it is very interesting. And that is something that I think that we should do more in the building industry also. Uh, and in the, in the BIM world, we should understand, as we say in design thinking, is that first, you have to understand the needs of the user, not to ask the user what uh, his or her needs are, because you're not going to get a proper answer. And we have this tendency of uh, just asking the engineers what they need. We take the brief and we order the client. Actually the problem is much more complex and the risk is that we develop solutions that are short-lived or they, they solve a problem, but ge- they generate uh, other problems. And like this, we're always behind actually solving the major problems. And that is even more important uh, when we're trying to, to solve this climate crisis and the sustainability because we have to look holistically. And personally, I think that in the BIM world, I haven't seen a lot of people that actually they understand the consequences of their design for the environment. You, of course, you have the LCC and LCA analysis, and that is extremely important. Now you can integrate them. But actually, uh, understanding the life of a product, the durability, the maintenance. Just to give you an example, um, one simple detail uh, in the building industry is that uh, sometimes you have materials that have a lifespan that goes, can go 100 years without any problem, if you think about concrete. You have other materials that, like stone, for example, that can go thousands of years. But when you place stone, Uh, And behind stone, you have a a material that has a lifespan of five years, and every five years you have to change it. Or you have pipes that have a high incidence of having a failure. What you do is that after 10 years, you destroy a material that actually could have lived a thousand years, because you have to fix a problem. And all this has to do with how we design our buildings and how we design them with maintenance in mind. And that is something that a lot of, uh, of it is decided by the, the, the designers, the architects, and the, the beam community can actually help here if we just create a ranking uh, about the durability, for example, and you can have a, a script to give you ongoing like a notification. Have you thought about it? I think that we can we can generate much more sustainable buildings just from simply accepting the problem
0: that's very interesting a ve- very very different opinion a very deep one it's very interesting i, uh,
1: I and i think that I, I, I think also that we have to take more responsibility <laughs> so um, but let's get back to um, to X. Sure. so as i said uh, working on the the projects uh, the berum comunigor I realized that actually there are a lot of, uh, of data points that, in a way, you find you have them available, but you don't have them available at the right point, the decision uh, uh, point in time. So, as a result of my frustration from that project regarding circular economy and um, and the opportunity given by Antler, again X has been shaped, and what we are trying to do in in again X is we are trying to develop a new set of sustainability and sustainable KPIs that are going to be used in investment uh, really early, but also on the long-term maintenance of the existing real estate assets, uh, real estate assets, and we are using machine learning for that. So here are the the three keys that are, uh, the three uh, elements that are extremely uh, important, is that KPIs, because uh, what you cannot measure uh, doesn't exist, as uh, the statisticians uh, say, uh, even if it exists, but you don't have the KPIs, then it, it is very difficult to, to do anything with it. Um, existing real estate assets. So we're not looking into new buildings, not at all. I think that's, that's part of the market um, is very well covered. <laughs> um, and we're doing this by using machine learning algorithms because of the complexity and the, the different type of data sources and materials and all that. So that is briefly what we're trying to do in, in again, X, we were um, lucky to get uh, funding from innovation, Norway and um, the regional research Fund in Oslo. And now we are established in startup lab uh, and in smart innovation, Norway, we are, uh, we, we are connected to, to startup uh, environment. So, Let's see where the keyboard is. The team is uh, dynamic, it's changing uh, all the time as in a startup, but it's expanding. So it has the the clear trend of growing up. And I think that uh, in AgainX, uh, we are extremely uh, lucky and happy to have people that actually, they want to be part of the team, not only for what uh, AgainX is, that we work with uh, cool stuff, but also because we have the mission of trying to solve a complex problem uh, that is connected to the sustainability uh, paradigm change and to the uh, the climate, to solve the climate crisis. But a little bit about the, the background. So we have run uh, extensive interviews with the clients and so on, and to to try to understand how the decisions are, are taken. And we found out that actually, usually in the transactions regarding uh, existing buildings, you focus a lot of the existing data, which is financially, <laughs> but you ignore the, a lot of the, the data, which is connected to the physical part of the assets. And that is because, as I said previously, you don't really have access to that type of information, because the buildings have been built in an analogical time, you don't have documentation and all that. So our aim is that actually we are going to uncover even more about those buildings. By looking more into the physical parts of the assets. And that is our, our mission. So we are aiming to, to get to uh, uncover at least 30% of the, the value, the hardcore value, the physical value. I said briefly uh, that we are going to focus on the r- really early stage, which is the investment part and the, the long term maintenance. And that is because, uh, as you see here from the graph, you have the the decision impact, the one in orange, and the the red line is the the decision associated costs. And everybody that worked in a uh, in a building project knows that actually a lot of changes can be done at the beginning, without so much fuss uh, and without major consequences. But The more you get into the project and the more you involve uh, more players and more disciplines, and eventually, even if you start the building site, everything is getting extremely expensive to be changed. And that is why you have this inflection point where actually you get all the changes are extremely expensive. And what is happening if you have a sustainability targets at the beginning, I've been working in a lot of uh, complex projects where actually... Uh, I think that the sustainability target follows almost the decision impact curve. <laughs> that, that is getting lower and lower and lower and lower because you, changes are very expensive eventually. So that is why we decided, okay, how we can actually move uh, so much of the information that usually you get in this stage really early when you decide to invest in a building or to what to do with an asset. And after that, we're looking at the pension funds and the big uh, the big players in the in the market, the long term uh, owners. And what we're going to do, because we're going to build a SaaS platform, uh, and our approach is that we look at the buildings in a totally different way. We look top down. So instead of looking uh, starting with details, we uh, look at the entire building stock. We uh, split it in, uh, we identify typologies. The buildings are not so different. The buildings actually, you can say that 60 to 80% of all the buildings around us are uh, identical or they belong to a cluster of typologies. So what we do, we look at the entire building stock. We put it into the this type of clusters based on different criterias. And inside those clusters, we identify the buildings that have a lot of content and a lot of uh, data about their content with buildings that don't have this type of content. So by using uh, our algorithm, we actually, we create these probability models to, to match the properties. So if you, if you look at the, just uh, taking two matrices that look quite different, but when you put them on the top of each other, actually you, un- you identify the nodes and by this, you can transfer the, the information. And we, we do that based on our uh, interviews. We do that focusing on six areas, major areas, which are the, the maintenance risk pred- prediction, the flexibility factor, how you can adapt the building and what will be the cost associated with it, lifetime prediction of the assets, something that is getting extremely important, especially now with uh, EU regulations, uh, the carbon footprint of the materials and the existing buildings. also. To map the materials, if there will be, from the circular point of view, circular economy point of view, uh, a reusability uh, value in them. And also uh, the toxic material content, which in existing buildings is a, is a major uh, cause of concern and uh, a major reason for why the buildings are demolished. We know that we had in the building industry, we had the wild, wild uh, west, as I uh, call it, from the 60s, to late 50s to early 80s, when there were, were a lot of uh, toxic materials. You remember probably from your childhood, asbest was quite a good uh, fire um, retardant material. And it was quite popular, until they found out that uh, it uh, shortens the life so, of humans.
0: <laughs> Let me to say something about this, because I, I need to say this. The village I grew up in, like, there, there were many people that had asbest on their houses or on their uh, other uh, buildings around the house. And uh, not me, I had uh, something else. But, uh, like, my neighbors, I, I know some, I still remember that they still have it. And it's not a priority to change because people don't know, don't have money, maybe. So, yeah, this is interesting, asbest. I know here in Norway, it's a very, it's at least some buzz about this, to remove it, to escape from it, to, to replace it. You might know more about this.
1: The regulations are quite strict about it. And just to understand the uh, asbest or the ethernet, which are the plates that actually they, they were used in, in roofs. And probably those are the, the one that your, neighbor, uh, your neighbors had. They are totally safe until you break them. Because when you break them, that is the moment when actually uh, asbest, the fibers is getting dangerous because you can inhale it very easy. And once you inhale it, the consequences are in a way, uh, yeah, decided.
0: That sounds very dramatical. I remember playing with small pieces of this uh, scribbling on the asphalt and uh, yeah, Jesus, I I did not know.
1: (laughs) So it is is quite a a serious problem. And I think that there is a reason why it's not part of the uh, mainstream media, because you have a history. Connected to asbest. <laughs> All of us had. So, but there are a lot of other uh, toxic materials that we have Can used. Can you give in-
0: some examples, some more examples of uh, this?
1: You have the PCBs, you have the, the windows, the, um, the, the spacers in the windows. They are also extremely uh, toxic uh, for the windows that were uh, mainly used until the 90s. And uh, we don't, and, and the same, this toxicity is not affecting the user if the, the product is the, in the original form. But uh, to give you a, maybe an example, because we we're, were talking about beam new buildings and old buildings, you have new regulations, the European regulations, and in Norway, they are quite uh, strict also regarding uh, uh, VOC, Volatile Organic Compounds, which in normal language is the smell of a new house, the smell of a new car all the, the smell of a new stuff that actually, uh, the smell comes from the fact that all the chemicals or the glues or the surfaces that uh, the, the paints and all that, they have a drying time and they have a period after they have been installed that actually, uh, they emit, uh, different compounds. And those compounds mainly are the ones that are causing that smell of a new product. So actually next time when you buy a new car and you go in very proud for the first six months of inhaling the smell of new car, think twice about <laughs> how enjoyable it is. And this is the same in, uh, in, in new houses. Now you have uh, you have a lot of regulations that actually limit the paints to, to a, a maximum amount of uh, VOC. That is really... And you see the difference. If you... Uh, I think that the best way to do is if you if you paint a room in your uh, apartment and you, you buy two types of uh, of paint one that has low VOC below 150 and one that has normal VOC which can be up to 500 wow and you're going to notice the difference that in the one with the low VOC the smell of the new painted room will disappear after 2 years uh, after 2 days while the other one you might have the smell with you for five, uh, even 10 days, even weeks. And that is where it comes from. So interesting. It is important to look, uh, again, if you look from the design point of view and building uh, uh, an information uh, model of a building and building the the digital twin, as everybody talks about now, um, you have a lot of possibilities in putting in a new set of criteria that is going to automate the choice of materials and that is something that I think that is a, an amazing opportunity with BIM that we can create this type of filters uh, automated because you can't expect that all the architects they will have the same amount of uh, knowledge about the volatile organic compounds and so on you can't expect that all the engineers they understand the consequences of recommending a type of silicon or another type of uh, silicon to fix whatever they have designed. Um, but if you use this approach in an automated way and just to to point the risk at the moment in time, I think that we can have a huge impact. So sustainability can be quite easily implemented if you think about it
0: uh, in the beginning. That sounds like uh, quite very important information that should be there, right? Like yeah, to have a set of... Uh... Parameters that will, yeah, you just, you have an element, like a window, something very important uh, uh, detail about this. When you will take it out, when you will change it or something, be careful about this, because that might be poisonous or something. That, that sounds like important stuff,
1: yeah. And it is, uh, th- that is what I, I always find fascinating uh, about beam How many opportunities we, do we have in a beam model is, for example, when you have two walls, if one of them is inverted, And it has the interior layers on the outside and you try to connect them, you're going to get the error message, right? Because it doesn't fit. Yeah. Uh, And that is because you have a script behind that says that, okay, when you have the hierarchy of the materials, it should follow the same hierarchy when you intersect two of the same type of elements. You can create the same type of hierarchy uh, regarding toxic materials, regarding, uh, uh, as I said previously, the maintenance, uh, the life expectancy of the materials. So I think that all these type of automated uh, checklists, it will be extremely useful to have them in the in the B models. I hope that someone in the audience will consider that and find some solutions. Maybe it will be a good idea for us also in again to start. Developing some scripts, yeah. This is very interesting stuff that
0: I did not I ever uh, did not think about before. So yeah, it's uh, it's really nice to um, to see so different perspectives. Thinking a little bit deeper into this, like I don't I don't think that somebody tries to to do on purpose harm or something. I I just think that this is our level of societies, right? Like first we need to have a roof and uh, Nobody thinks about what is about that material or something when, when you just have money to, to survive, right? And you just have, you need a place where to stay or something, right? Now I think we got to this level where technology is providing us with so much abundance that we can think about these things as well. I think we could not have done this earlier, if you ask me. Like, I know the importance of this and we have no other way further. We, need, we definitely need to do something about this. But I, like, if you go back in time, like, what do you think, like, in uh, 1950, uh, we just ended the Second World War, right? Who who was thinking about this? Like, we needed houses, we needed other things, right? What I want to stretch here, like, we live in very privileged times. So, and we must be grateful for that.
1: I think that it is an amazing uh, period we're living in. And of course, uh, people have talked about the, the fourth uh, industrial revolution, and I think that what I expect that we're going to uh, to do is actually not to look just in a mechanist way. That is the fourth industrial revolution, because it's not just a question of thinking about products. But I think I really hope that we are uh, going to use this opportunity into a mindset revolution, where actually you don't think just about finding a solution, delivering a product, taking the money, and moving away. Because that, is, that was the pattern that we have had as a society in the last uh, probably 200 years since the Industrial Revolution, that we haven't really considered the consequences of what we do. So I really hope that this fourth uh, revolution is going to be actually a fourth point five or f- fifth uh, in the mindset revolution. We live in a, in a society that actually none of us could be 100% independent, especially now in our cities. If you think that we are reliant on a logistic system of so going to the shop to buy uh, the products that we are going to make dinner with, uh, we are dependent on a health system of roads and all that. And that is the advantage of our society that each of us is specialized in a, in a field and together we manage to create this abundance. But this abundance, until now, it has been thought as a linear development. That's actually, you look just what the market needs and you supply with that. You find the resources and that's it. You sold it, you don't care about it. Eventually, you have a warranty for it. But until now, the the biggest problem was that We have considered nature as something that is going to be there forever and is going to supply these raw materials ongoing, which personally I think is a paradox. Uh, I wouldn't, sometimes I use much stronger words, but I I think that considering that you have a finite system uh, and considering that on that finite system you're going to have infinite access to resources from that system, that is something that doesn't really work, is not something that really works. And that was the mindset. So I think that we, uh, we have the technology that now, just by being aware of the consequences of what we do, we can implement and have these consequences more under control. And you have requirements uh, in the building industry in Norway, we have the, the life cycle assessments and the life cycle costs that are getting part of the mainstream. I mean, uh, everybody starts to use them. And that is a very good sign. But we can take it even further, connecting all the dots that we have discussed previously, hierarchies and uh, long-term and maintenance and what is going to happen at the end of life with the product. And that is something again, that can be included in a beam model. What we are, we have to consider that the beams that uh, of the buildings that we are creating now those buildings, they have to be dismantled. They have to be to have this possibility of knowing in 40 years from now, when someone will get into the building, they should know exactly the content of the materials, the, the buildings, exactly how they were fixed, and if they want to take them apart, what will happen and what will be the consequences, and if it is possible. I completely agree, yeah. We have to, to uh, and there is a concept that I'm uh, really fond of uh, and we're trying to solve in, in X to, to be part of the solutions also. We have a huge material bank in our cities. We don't have to look for materials outside our cities. We have a lot of materials that we can reuse. If you think about a brick, a brick has to be in an oven over a thousand degrees for three days get to the hardness level that it's required, right? That is a lot of energy. But the same brick can last hundreds of years. What is happening now when you have this um, uh, short-term approach to building industry is that actually when you demolish a building, you just throw away the the materials. There are very good initiatives uh, in Norway and in Denmark and in, in the Netherlands about reusing these bricks. And that is something that for me is quite surprising that they are presented as new initiatives, breakthrough and all that. But actually, for me, is just getting back to the common sense. Because my grandparents, when if they had a, a building next to their house that was built in bricks, they didn't need that building. They were demolishing it and reusing the bricks.
0: Yeah, because they could not afford to buy another one.
1: Yeah, and it was, and it was something uh, I've been invited to, um, to hold a presentation at the, um, at the conference here in Oslo. It was, I think, the last conference before COVID kicked in, last year in February. Uh, and it was um, a waste in the construction uh, sector uh, conference. And after I, I had my presentation, and I always refer, try to connect to the previous generations. Actually, we have to relearn or uh, what it used to be normal 50 years ago. And uh, they asked me, okay, if you would look at your grandparents and our generation, what do you think is the biggest difference between those generations, right? So you're talking about two generations. And my grandparents, they had a the farm and they were like in the countryside. And I I, re- I realized that actually the main difference was that there was no garbage truck. There was... <laughs> Everything that they had, they had to manage on their farm. If there, and that is quite a, an important thing because we have this mentality out of sight, out of mind, where uh, if we think that we sort our plastic and put it in a bag, in a garbage bin, that means that we have saved the planet. But we have no idea what is happening to that plastic. And unfortunately, uh, plastic is a very difficult material to recycle. Very difficult. Yeah. So the main thing is not to use it, <laughs> to buy it. But my parents, my grandparents, I remember in the 90s in in Romania when suddenly we got the the PET, the plastic uh, Coca-Cola bottles. They were extremely happy the first year, because every time we were going to them with a two liters Coca-Cola bottle, it was possible to buy it in big quantities back then. They were keeping the bottles to put them in the garden in the springtime on the top of the plants. So they were creating some micro-conservatory, if you can call it like this, uh, for each plant, because it was exactly the the special shape of the bottle. Of course, they were very happy the first year, because after a year, they had more than enough of those bottles, and this started to be a problem. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. there is a limited time that you can enjoy this mindset of reusing. So you have to look at not using it. But I think that that is part of the, the society we live in. We have to be more aware of the decisions we take when we buy and choose a product.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, let me uh, add something to that. We live in times of extreme materialism. That's, that's a big problem. From every perspective, not only buildings, Like we want, we always want more. We want better phone, a better car, a better printer, a better computer, always. Then change them, change them, change them, upgrade them, right, and such. We we never think about something else than to fulfill our needs, right, satisfy our needs. They did not have this luxury. Like they needed to really think, they really need to be very thankful with the resources. And not only them, like when I was a child, in my childhood, I, I did not have a, a abundance of things like in uh, before 90s. I, I don't, I, it was not like that. Like I, I could, uh, like the, uh, because you said, you mentioned the bottles, like my mother was very happy to, to use these bottles to keep milk in them and to, to give to uh, neighbors or uh, relatives when they were visiting us, right? So it was, uh, or selling. Like I grew up with this mindset of uh, how can I reuse this? Uh, like you said, I did not have any garbage bin at home, to be honest. So uh, we always were thinking, what can we do with this? What is the next level to it? So, yeah, and eventually when you just cannot use it, then it did not end up in a very good place, to be honest, because it was not very very good place. But now, now it's a little bit better from that point. But there are much, much more, uh, more uh, things <laughs> that is very difficult to manage.
1: I think that another important aspect is that we don't think about it, but 99% of the population uh, in the Western world, they live much better than the kings lived 150 years uh, back. And that is something that we have this problem of, uh, personally, I think that we have a problem of perceived luxury as a need. Yeah. Without really looking into the fact that our needs can be fulfilled uh, much better if you look long term. Because if you look short term, just changing what exactly fulfills your needs is going to put you into a loop of continuously looking for new things. Uh, And that's uh, there are, unfortunately, there are studies showing that actually this uh, hamster loop will not get to uh, any place where we are going to be happier. So I think that it is important to understand actually what our needs, what do we really need to have a happy life or to have a, a great built environment that is going to allow the cities to flourish and the mm-hmm. inhabitants. We, we spend 70%, more than 70% of our time inside the buildings. Yeah. Now with uh, COVID, probably even more, we get to 90%. And that suddenly points towards, okay, the built environment is extremely important. The quality is extremely important. The daylight, the, but also the flexibility factor. What you can adapt your apartment. Now, a lot of us have experienced that uh, we have this need for a home office. How we can fulfill that. Is it possible to, to get it? And here, the design has been quite important. If the, the apartment has been designed in a way that can be easily adapted, You can fulfill that. There are creative solutions to that, of course, but is that is why I I said earlier that we need a mindset revolution to better understand actually what we need and how we are going to to solve it. If we get back to again X, so what we're trying to do is to look at the existing buildings, because we um, as I said previously, the existing buildings they should be perceived in a totally different manner. For a beam for an existing building, you have everything uh, 3D-modeled, you have the content, you have all the layers, you have the level of details, you have everything that you can structure it and plan for it. When you're talking about an existing building, you have uh, photogrammetry and laser scanning uh, that gives you an idea of the surface, right, what you see, but you, you don't really get behind the walls. There are some new technologies. I've been uh, briefly into them to use ultrasounds. and uh, uh, there is a Norwegian company that delivers these type of solutions for uh, quality test of the bridges, the maintenance uh, test of the bridges, where actually uh, you just put a robot and using ultrasound, you can get and uh, check the quality of the reinforcement. reinforcement. And uh, so that is extremely useful. Expensive, but when you're talking about big infrastructure projects that the you have to balance the cost and that's totally fine. But in the buildings, you have a lot of, it, it is much more difficult to get this individual assessment and scanning of every individual building part. So that is why, what we, uh, we decided to do was to, okay, how you can create these data sources that you have plenty of them and how you can put them actually in an algorithm that is going to associate uh, with a 3D model, the contents. And it's not going to be three-dimensional, uh, uh, ex- precisely localized, so, uh, but you get an idea about uh, the structure itself. And that is already a huge step because from not knowing what is behind the surface, you actually, you have an idea of what the content will be. And we collect, as I said, a lot of data from different sources. We put it into our black box. A lot of people complained about the concept of black box, but in the end, computers don't need light. And the output is what actually we deliver to the clients, the KPIs that I've been uh, talking about. And uh, what is also important is that the information should be uh, presented in a very simple form. Uh, and especially when you're talking about complexity, complexity should be simplified in the presentation form. Because otherwise you are creating artificial barriers, and no matter what fantastic solution do you have, if the user cannot use it uh, or understand uh, it, it's not going to be used. And this is a waste. And we have a lot of uh, examples in the history of brilliant ideas that were either too early or not well presented. So. What we decided to do that is uh, uh, part of our dashboards is that we are going to focus on creating these building scores, which is the result of our probability analysis, which points toward the risk. Uh, so the higher the number it is, uh, the better the score and the lower the risk. The lower the number, the higher the risk. And that is something that is extremely easy to uh, to understand and is extremely useful, uh, especially the, uh, considering that the early decisions in the building uh, industry or in the, in the investment regarding uh, commercial real estate assets is taken by people that don't necessarily have backgrounds from the, the building sector. They are good at numbers and financial numbers. And that is something that we have uh, one of our clients told us that actually Daniel, if you manage to compile the 20 reports that I get from 20 smart people that I have to compile myself, I'm going to buy your product <laughs> with happiness. Because what is happening now, you have these highly documented reports, but actually people compile the conclusions or because they don't have the, the skills and they look at the conclusions actually to take the decision so that is another thing that we're trying to do to simplify the information the complex information and present it in uh, in a simple form and of course we're trying to, to do this analysis to support the further uh, building certifications we're looking now into the swan market the um, the swan mark certification that is an extremely interesting one and also the sustainability development goals uh, because a lot of people talk about them but actually We are trying to give the the support to to that. And in the end is going to be, it has to be possible to to get the PDF or to integrate it via APIs to existing tools that they are using, because also data has to communicate with uh, the the, the tools that they have. We have a lot of interesting uh, things in the pipeline regarding user interface, uh, adaptability to different tools, um, eye tracking, I'm really happy to have people around that uh, are really smart. Uh, and in some areas they are much smarter than me. So I learn a lot from them. Uh, and that is really, that is actually the key in AgainX. That's where in the end, X is just a platform to, to put in, uh, in use your knowledge and your creativity. Here is a, a brief slide uh, about something that people don't think about, which is, there is a value in the existing building materials. So instead of waste, uh, that is uh, one of our partners. Uh, We're going to do now a project financed by the Research Council together with uh, IFE, the Institute for uh, Energy and Technology from Halden. Uh, I don't know if that is the name in English, so I do apologize, but uh, it's IFE. And we are going to look into exactly this: how you can present the the information uh, in a proper way. But what mustad uh, they have done, they said, okay, they have a they are a big building owner, and they looked in different scenarios. Uh, in some of the buildings that they have, the office buildings, the real estate markets, the residential real estate markets has been booming the late uh, the last years in uh, in Oslo. So actually. It was much more interesting for them to see. Okay, what is going to happen if we demolish all these uh, office buildings and build apartments? Would it work? What will be the cost? And of course, they look at the cost and they they realize that actually there was a huge opportunity for them. That's because when you own the same uh, a lot of buildings next to each other, that means that you to reuse materials, you don't have to recertify them because the regulation now, uh, the European regulation it doesn 't allow to use materials that not not c e certified and the, the the certification itself is created for new materials, not for existing materials as a methodology so they said, okay actually because uh, but uh, you can reuse the materials if you don 't change the owner so if you keep it in the same company, actually you can reuse it without certification, which was uh, quite a an interesting uh, thing for for Mishstat. and they looked. In, okay, how much of the materials that we have in the existing buildings can we reuse? And it was really interesting that from a, an estimated cost of 200 uh, million kronas, which is roughly 20 million uh, euros to demolish, they got to a value of 146 million euros in reusing the materials. So from a cost of 20 million, they got to a 146 million benefit. And that is that shows the potential of circular economy if you really look uh, if you start looking into it and connect it to the building as material banks. you have a lot of resources available, and you have a, a huge value available. So and that is something that we're trying to uh, to do in again X, is how you can put the data, how you can map these materials, how you can have the, uh, the volumetric uh, and the, the, the other types of properties. Before actually you get to the decision moment of demolishing it, can you put a value? Because, like this, you can make them available for architects and uh, a new usage of the same material. So, that is part of what our mission is <laughs> and our scope. We are lucky to, to work with really smart researchers. And uh, so, Syntef has uh, delivered the report for us uh, about what we can do. And here is uh, that is a, a pitch, uh, an investor pitch. So um, I don't think that we have to to go to move on with this. But uh, so that is briefly what we're trying to to solve. And as I said, the discussion itself about the, um, the beam, as you mentioned at the beginning, beam is just a tool. It's not the, the destination. Completely. And that is something that. Yes, that is something that we have to, to consider.
0: Yeah, well, I hope that everybody is aware about that. Like every like every tool that we use, we use to, to do something, to get to a finished product, right? So uh, I hope nobody is using AutoCAD or uh, Revit just because they like it, but just because they want to deliver some value that will lead to a product, a project being built,
1: I think that, um, of course, there is no question about uh, the advantages of a, as a drawing tool, whatever you use, ArchiCAD, Revit, and uh, uh, so on. But is to understand the possibilities that you have by using that tool. To understand that actually is not just a, a substitute for the pen and paper. Because Beam has so much more into it and gives you so many possibilities that uh, actually, you can uh, automate a lot of processes, but you can also uh, include the, um, uh, an ongoing evaluation of the consequences of your design decisions and that is something that uh, we as I said, when you 're talking about new buildings the, um, the target itself uh, personally i 'm not so happy anymore. I was extremely happy in uh, Blobs and uh, Greg Lynn and all the the approaches, the the theoretical and uh, different uh, approaches of actually liberating architecture from the grid. Because uh, everything that is orthogonal, it was perceived as something that was a limitation. And I think that the, the digital tools and the parametric design allowed us actually a freedom of expression that was very complicated to draw it by hand. And that is amazing. And I know that there are a lot of uh, smart people working with, with this, and how they can create these parametric shapes that uh, visually are extremely interesting. But there is, there is something that um, I've started to work on. So uh, if someone in the audience would like to be part of this uh, research project, I would be more than happy to, uh, to have them join the project. Uh, And namely the project is about looking at architecture and buildings 10, 15 years after they have been built or they won the prizes. Because we have a tendency of looking at the prices and the covers of the magazines when they were built and how spectacular they are. Uh, But when you go to buildings 10, 15 years after they have been built, you understand that maybe some of the design decisions were not the smartest. That's so true. That's so true. And I, I, I think that from a sustainability point of view, it's just actually looking into perspective that the buildings are the ones that have, uh, they have a tectonic and the longevity that is built into them and ignoring it completely because we just want to get on the cover of the magazines. That's kind of special. And I would say a little bit ignorant. Yeah. Of not More. being aware of the responsibility you, that you have as a, a building creator, generator, or professional to consider the long-term perspective of that building. Uh, and that is something that... So I've started to take pictures of uh, of buildings uh, when they won the prizes, and 10-15 uh, years after that. And most of the time, I have to admit that... Um, yeah. They don't really pass the test of time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you are a funny guy, Daniel. You are a funny guy. <laughs> How can somebody contact you uh, if they would like to um, to join your project or uh, ask you anything?
1: They can just drop me a, a, an email on uh, againx.ai uh, or reframe.no. Those are the two companies. The, one is the architecture company and the other one is the a new AI company, or LinkedIn, or I think that is not really a problem to be contacted today. <laughs> yeah, but I think it will be it will be interesting because um, uh, my approach is that also we have to uh, we can learn a lot from our mistakes. We cannot. Uh, I have a I had a teacher at the school and they said there is a big difference between doctors and architects. Both of the educations they are quite long you have six years of education and after that practice and all that. So, um, but he said that the doctors, if they make a, a mistake, they just buried it underground. Oh my God. While the architects, they cannot do that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I think that the responsibility should be quite high <laughs> when you're talking about the building, uh, industry. We should be more responsible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we should learn how
0: to bury <laughs> bigger buildings yeah. or bigger things under the ground. Jesus. Yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> I give you that.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: but yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't know how much we have talked about beam today. Um, oh, everything was about beam here. Like y- even if it ha- it has a
0: more uh, holistic point of view. But everything is, is connected. Like, what is BIM after all? What is the point of BIM? BIM is to to have a better co- uh, cooperation, to to share, to work together, right? And how can you do that if you don't have a goal? And today we talked mostly about the goal and why should we go to this direction? So yeah, of course, it's, it's not a tool, uh, it's not a, a Revit plugin or something, but it's, it's, a, it's a very important topic that uh, most of us, like engineers or architects, we don't Give them, or even don't think about it, right? So it's something very, very important.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think that uh, what you said about Beam as a cross-disciplinary tool. Uh, I I use Revit. Uh, I have used Archicad before, but uh, in the last eight years, I've made the switch to, to Revit. And uh, on that, Baron uh, Komunogor, we have used Beam 360, where it was. Extremely uh, useful to have um, ongoing contacts with other disciplines uh, models, because it was possible to do the, the test. Of course, you see all the changes. You can focus uh, just on what you has changed since the last synchronizations and so on. But it was also possible to to, to see the consequences of what you do or what the other disciplines uh, do ongoing in real time. And that's cross-disciplinary approach that is extremely important regarding existing buildings. Because as I said, now I'm focusing on existing buildings. is even more important. You cannot do refurbishments uh, if you just limit yourself to the architects and the structure engineer. It's not going to be a, a good project. You have to involve the others. You have to involve the... The maintenance guys, you have to involve the ventilation guys, the electricians, you have to, to look uh, even into the, the waste management companies. You have to, to be cross disciplinary because otherwise you're going to take, unfortunately, the decision that no, we should just demolish it. And that's not a good decision. So you, you have to, to be cross disciplinary. Uh, and I think that we, we have a, a huge opportunity by using uh, a Beam as a tool. Uh, but we should also be realistic with the names, as I uh, I think that's a lot of people use the the, the digital twin uh, name, which I think is the most misused term in the building industry. I personally I haven't seen any digital twin in my life, because uh, as I call them, the digital twins are from different parents, uh, twins from different parents, uh, because actually you have. It's very difficult to um, to build exactly as you have designed it. And if you don't update it, if you don't get the, the two-flow information uh, into the model while you build it and after you build it and all that, there are uh, the maintenance reports, uh, the facility management. There are a lot of applications that started to look into, into that, and that is really uh, good. But I think that is extremely important to look into that when we design, the the buildings, how we can allow this integration, that the model will be used while uh, uh, also after the building is being finished, how you can actually use actively the BIM much longer in time than just to design it. Uh, And I I think that there are a lot of people working with this. And uh, I know about some solutions that are used in facility management. And uh, the, the evolution is exponential. So, uh, but we have to, to be realistic that actually the scope of whatever we do in the building industry is the building itself and its inhabitants. So is the, the quality of the building. And that means that you have to focus on the maintenance even more than choosing the colors of the building. So I think that's, here is something that we have to, uh, to get to, to understand. Yeah, I I cannot fight you on that. Yeah, thanks. It would be a, a digital fight about digital twins.
0: Yeah. So, is there anything else important you think you forgot to mention before we wrap this up?
1: I think that we can talk for hours. Um, I would like to come back to your uh, to your podcast in about uh, six or uh, uh, six or twelve months. Of course. To show you the, the updates and what we have done. Because we have a really, uh, in AgainX, uh, we know that if we really want to have an impact, we have to get outside Norway. So our market is the European market on the, on the long term. And I would like to get back to, to China. I have studied in uh, Beijing. And I think that is a, is a fascinating uh, uh, country. But also regarding refurbishment, there is a huge opportunity there. Because what has happened in the last 30 years in China, it was continuously building new. But now they get to the next level of maturity where actually they have to uh, refurbish what it has been built in the 80s and 90s and so on. So I think that refurbishing market in China is going to be huge. Uh, so we, we would like to, to get there eventually. But I, I, uh, I hope that we're not the only one and I hope that there will be many more players focusing more and more on existing buildings. Uh, because if we really want to solve the, the climate crisis that we're facing, uh, we have to better manage what we have already.
0: If I'm not mistaken, over 90% of uh, the, uh, the building stock is, uh, is the existing ones. So we don't think about that because most of us are working on building new ones, uh, designing new ones in our industry, right? But actually, like, that's a very small part from the entire industry, from the entire number of buildings or projects.
1: I think that the numbers are valid for Western uh, world, because in Asia, there is a lot of things that is happening, uh, built new. Um, the, the pace is slowing down, uh, uh, but if you think about uh, Jakarta, I think that now the government last year, they have approved uh, uh, to move the entire city, because the soil is not good for the existing one. So uh, I think it's Jakarta. And that will be a huge project. <laughs> but the question is how many of the materials from the existing city will be used to the new city? Yeah. Are there any thoughts about it? Because I think that the opportunity is there and you have a, a huge, huge potential. So in, in Asia, uh, I think that the percentage is not so high, but. If you really want to, to solve the, the climate crisis, you have to start with what you have and uh, lower the, the demand for new stuff. Definitely. I completely agree with that. So let's hope that uh, there will be more, uh, more people getting into Beamvoice, Voice that work with uh, refurbishment. That will be really cool because that means that the market is, is, moving, is moving there.
0: Yeah, you know, there, I don't have a lot of this kind of people in my network. It's, it's not a lot. There are not a lot of tools for this purpose. I've seen, like, there is a lot of interest around Europe. Europe is investing through many funds, this kind of initiatives. But I don't see any uh, finished products. Like, it's, it's just uh, the noise. Like, uh, many startups like you. Uh, there are other startups as well, but uh, not not in my network. I, I just uh, had a look like that and uh, briefly. Um, yeah, but it uh, is definitely something
1: I hope that there will be more. What we uh, we play to see uh, to say to our investors is that uh, probably heard about the spacemaker, the Norwegian: uh, Of course, of course, yeah. has been bought last year by Autodesk for 240 million dollars. Uh, and what we are saying is that we are the space makers for existing buildings. Yeah. Because that is what we are trying to do. We use the same approach of collecting and connecting data and dots to help the decision makers have a better understanding of what they are dealing with.
0: Well, uh, I, I don't want to uh, rain on your parade, but uh, you are—you uh, want to be the space maker AI because right now uh, you are at like in the start. The initiative is the same, ambitious and such. But next year or in two years.
1: You'll show me that you, you. That is why I said, "Invite me. Uh, See you again in twelve months." Of course, it's going to be a pleasure. Spacemaker started also with a whiteboard. So,
0: yeah, yeah, like everybody. So, but it. What is like? There are many startups, right? So it's very important to keep the pace up, to to keep to keep the fight until you succeed. It's uh, yeah, it's so easy.
1: And I think also that's what we need in the startup world, and uh, is that. We should have more finance, we should have uh, more investors looking actually into the more complex problem solving than just into uh, the the distribution or the the finance where you have a different pattern, a a different building model, uh, business model where you are taking a commission per transaction and so on. We have to, that is extremely important and those are extremely good solutions uh, and uh, I'm not saying that I'm against those, but I think that we, we need more financing, we need more investment uh, in this type of solutions that are trying to solve a problem that is going to benefit the society in itself on the long term. Yeah. And in our case, uh, mostly we got uh, public funding. We haven't managed yet to get private funding and that is something that i think it should change as a as a perspective as as an approach the investments uh should get also to this type of companies that are trying to solve a problem that is looks like the elephant in the room too complex to address but we have to do it so um so i think that's uh, about the mindset we have a lot of changes that we have to do as a society i think that as, as i used to say i um, i'm an educated optimist that uh, we are going to, to solve it and it's going to be fine but we don't have to ignore it because somebody else will solve it for us we just have to put our energy and each of us is going to do it so each of us is if we are doing a small incremental uh, change in whatever we do to make that sus- more sustainable. I think as a result, the entire society will become more sustainable. But we can't really uh, outsource. Sustainability is not a trend. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to have this uh, slogan on my, one of my previous companies. Sustainability is not a topic. It's the way of living. And I, uh, I think it's, I really believe in that, that we have to... Uh, to use our skills to solve this common problem because it is a common problem It's about saving ourselves not the planet
0: yeah 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 when i said in the beginning that saving the planet of course like you don't want to save just a rock right of course the purpose behind it is for us to thrive
1: even better on it right yes so yeah thank you for having me here and uh see you in 12 months (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: it was a pleasure having you here, thank you very much for uh, accepting the invitation, I learned a lot from this and I'm really happy and I got inspired uh, to, uh, to look uh, from other perspectives as well, uh, while I'm doing my work, because I uh, like uh, I, being caught up in the project, you don't think about these kind of trivial things, right, that are so important for the future of us, after all, right? So yeah, uh, looking forward to uh, to talk to you again in the future. This is something I like to do. I I like to catch up uh, with uh, previous guests as I did before, and I will keep doing.
1: Yeah. So April twenty twenty
0: two. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. We don't need to fix it in the calendar. It, maybe you you have a huge success by the end of this year, or maybe it will be next summer, or uh, I don't know. We will see it. Like we we stay in contact anyway, so uh, we can uh, we can decide then.
1: Yeah. I'm looking forward and I, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much.